Never mind where I am. Lawrence, tell me how to get her back. Get her back? Nick, are you crazy? You were fine earlier. What happened? Nothing happened. I just told you I saw her. Well, don't see her again. Nick, you slept with a woman one time, and it took ages to get over it. Don't call her. Don't send her flowers, Nick. Think about Anne. Nick? Don't worry about me, Lawrence. You sure you don't want to meet me somewhere? Uh, I've dinner plans already. Thanks. Take care of yourself, Nick. Goodbye, Lawrence. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. So we are launching into our Halloween offerings here. This is the first of several we're going to be looking at throughout the month of October. This is for our spookening offerings, and we are starting off with Boxing Helena from 1993. It is a movie that I had never seen. I was aware of it. I knew of it, just kind of a rough idea of what the content was. I knew that it was like controversial slash notorious upon its release. So it's just kind of been one of those like odd movies that's been hanging out there for a while that I was like, oh, you know, maybe I should check that out sometime. And now I have. And so has my panel. So we will be discussing that shortly. Uh, a little bit of background information on it is it was written and directed by Jennifer Chambers Lynch, who is David Lynch's daughter, the famous film director David Lynch. Uh, she was very young when she directed this. I think she was in her like early to mid-20s. It was her first film. The reception of this movie it was not great. Um, like critically or commercially and she just like backed off of film and didn't direct anything for like a solid I think 15 years or so after that um, she has directed since a few films since she's tended to like kind of slant into the horror uh, genre she's directed a fair amount of TV episodes and then she also wrote The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer which is an in-universe diary for Twin Peaks from the point of view of Laura Palmer. And I actually read that uh, last summer. Um, and it's pretty good. Uh, like she, yeah, she, I think she was 19 when she wrote it. So she was very close to Laura Palmer's age. And it feels very like authentic and it fits in the Twin Peaks world. And she did a good job with it. So that's something like for Twin Peaks fans that I think, uh, you know, it's been like kind of an offshoot book that uh, fans have picked up over the years. But yeah, she has had, like I said, a directing career, just had that uh, lengthy pause. The film itself, we will dive into the content here coming up shortly, um, but I'll just uh, state what uh, who's in the cast. It stars, uh, I mean, it's basically kind of like two leads. You have Sherilyn Fenn, she's billed first, although she's not necessarily driving the plot, but Sherilyn Fenn is Helena. And Sherilyn Fenn is most famous for being in Twin Peaks. She was Audrey Horn, the uh, kind of like sleuth, high school sleuth character in Twin Peaks and then in the uh, revival that recently came out. Uh, she was also in the Of Mice and Men movie in the 90s, and she's been a lot of TV and film stuff throughout she the years. She was in Friends. She was in an episode of Friends, and who she played was ironic. A lot of people were in an episode of Friends. Okay, but she... I don't want to say who she played. I'll tell you later. Okay. All right. Are you going to tell us on the show? Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, and then Julian Sands plays Dr. Nick Cavanaugh. Um, he is a kind of 
blandly handsome Ken doll of a man who uh, <laughs> was in some stuff in the 90s. Um, I, I knew I recognized him. I couldn't quite place it, and I looked it up. So he uh, he was in The Killing Fields. He was in Arachnophobia as the uh, the spider scientist who causes a whole town to die. And then um, he was in the Warlock movies, He played, which I've never seen, but they were... I, he, like I, they might have been direct to video. I don't know. I remember him being at the VHS uh, store and stuff. I think the first one was in theaters, but okay. Yeah. So that yeah, like Warlock. Um, he played Warlock in it, uh, and you know he's like wearing a big like flowing cape and stuff. Bill Paxton weirdly also shows up in this movie. I'm not entirely sure why. <laughs> Kurtwood Smith, the uh, character actor who's been in many things. He was the villain in RoboCop. He was in Quick Change, which we recently looked at, and he's most famous for playing the father in That 70s Show. Oh, and this movie weirdly also stars Art Garfunkel. <laughs> for some reason, Art Garfunkel <laughs> is in this movie in a small character part as some rando doctor friend. Um... Beyond that, there's not really anyone, I think, that, like, pops out, although there is Nicolette Scorsese is someone, and I would have to believe that she's in some way related to Martin Scorsese. I don't know how many <laughs> I Scorseses looked it up and there are. she is not. What? Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's some of the cast that we're working with. So, you know, I mean, Sherilyn Fenn and Bill Paxson and Kurtwood Smith, you know, have all been in some sizable productions and character roles and things. So like compared to some of the things that we've looked at, we're not working with like people you've never heard of or the worst actors in the world. So that's not, uh, that's not really an issue with it. Issues with it are other things. So we will be looking at those coming up. I think that's good for background. So our, uh, our crew for this one, uh, our friend David, was unable to join us, um, but uh, we have joining us here Eric, a big horror fan and uh, has been on many, many, many of our episodes. I think this is number 23. <laughs> Shut up, Eric. <laughs> All right. We'll have, to, we'll have to check those numbers eventually. And then uh, we have Jack with uh eric being the bane of her existence uh, eventually eric's gonna be like smothered in his sleep so jack will be able to take over as podcast guest extraordinaire welcome jack thank you greetings to everyone except eric oh so just me what's your number <laughs> <laughs> all right so Without further ado, we'll just open up the floor. What do we make of Boxing Helena? This movie was garbage. <laughs> Agreed. End of podcast. Yeah, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> it isn't. It's so bad. Oh, it's so bad. Very little redeeming qualities to this movie. Few. It's, it's hard to enjoy a movie that's basically a bunch of bad dialogue and two insufferable leads. <laughs> and... Yeah. A bunch of other small characters, none of which actually do anything. Nope. Nope. It's nope, like, nope. there's a lot of there, they're in a couple scenes a piece, but they don't really have anything to do. There's not a lot of, there's really no part they play, except uh -uh. in specifics. Yeah, it's, it's. Um, I really believe, I, I would not categorize this 
categorize this as a horror movie at all. Super agreed. Um, and I know, and I know that I think I read that sh- the director didn't intend it on being one. I know it has a kind of horror-ish plot, you could argue, and I assumed it would when I kind of knew going in what the the basis of the plot was. But yeah, it's not. It's not suspenseful in the in the way that like misery is, which is a similar yeah. type mm-hmm. of thing. It's not gory. It's not graphic. Yeah, I mean, you know, the scene where she gets run over by the car hit me because th- there was like a shot where it was really cheesy, and then the actual shot when it's like hitting her leg is like I was like, oh, okay. Um, and there's one other, uh, I guess, like creepy shot that I'll I'll mention later. But, okay. Um, apart from that, yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't really operate as a horror movie. Yeah, um, I like I said, I had never seen it. I knew it based on content, so based on content, I assumed there would be some horrific stuff or it would be shot and presented in horrific ways. It's really not. It I would I would call it at best horror adjacent. I think it still fits for a Halloween viewing because it's dealing with dark subject matter, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's definitely not like light in what it's dealing with. But yeah, like you're not going to sit down and be like, Oh, this is a fun horror movie. You're also not going to sit down and be like, Oh, this is a fucked up horror movie. Like I'm going to see yeah. some shit. That's going to like, just mess with me. It's like, no, it's, it's no just bacon kind of the, is missing. Yeah. It's just kind of the concept of it leans horror. And, um, I mean the closest I can compare it to. So there's the David Cronenberg movie, dead ringers, which I recently rewatched. Mm-hmm. And that's a movie that's like sort of horror as well, but but mostly it's like a drama first with some horrific moments and like creepy parts. That's kind of what I thought this would be vibing toward, and it's really not. Um, but it's the closest I could compare it to since it like that also features like a doctor who's on the edge involved in like weird experiments. So mm-hmm. That would be the closest, but I but Dead Ringers works way better as a horror movie than this does. Dead yeah. Ringers is a much better movie than this is. <laughs> so go watch Dead Ringers. Um, it's crazy how many good movies this movie reminds me of. <laughs> when in fact this movie, because there's another one. If we're talking about the angle of how it's supposed to be, this sort of like, you know, movie about obsessive sexuality, which um, there's a, a, a Pedro. Almodovar movie called Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Uh, it's an early one of his that I haven't seen in a long time, but I remember it being similar. It's a man obsessed with a woman kidnapping her and trying to get her to fall in love with him. Um, but I remember that one actually has a much more interesting plot mm-hmm. and plays on those themes a little bit, like a lot better. And it's a young Antonio Banderas, so it's like more. Um, oh. uh, <laughs> but, that, I mean, uh, I thought you were going to mention, unless, unless the movie goes under a different title, like uh, The Skin I Live In. Um, which that's Antonio I mean, Banderas as a crazy doctor too, right? It's been yes, a while. Yes, and yeah. that's same director, but yeah, a little, a little huh. much later in his career. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that movie is similar in ways. But the, I think Time Me Up, Time Me Down is literally a guy, like, he kidnaps a woman that he had one sexual encounter with and is, you know, got her tied up in her apartment trying to, like, you know, get her to fall in love. And it's kind of like this it, it, this back and forth um but yeah, like this this movie just isn't ever interesting when they go <laughs> that route. So it's <laughs> well, yeah. My my main my overall comment on this is this movie is mostly boring. Like yeah. that's that's the note I wrote. Like I was just kind of 
bored to tears throughout, which shouldn't be happening based on some of what is actually happening in the plot. Like, it should at least be vaguely interesting of, oh, this is weird, this is bizarre, it's keeping my attention even if I don't like the movie. So there's that. I would say the movie is, as far as being a good movie, it's not helped by... We've, we're comparing it to like Cronenberg or comparing it to what was the director's name again, Eric? I can't remember. Uh, Almodovar. Yeah. Compared to him. Um, but like this movie really at its core feels like you're watching like a silk stockings from the nineties. <laughs> like it is like very cable TV. Yeah. Like paid cable, soft core <laughs> porn. Yeah. Which say, I'll it's say. It's soft core for sure. <laughs> You know, which I'll say is like maybe one of the only redeeming things about this movie is like, oh, I'm saying that like, I just as like for if like the you're sexuality, into that, sure. If you're into thinking Sherilyn Fenn is hot, yes, but I'm saying it doesn't operate as a good film beyond that. Yeah. But no. uh, but that's what's going on. That's kind of like that's how, and it's not even just the sexual scenes. It's kind of like any of the dialogue scenes beyond that feel like that kind of cheap yeah. awkward yeah. cable presentation yeah. and the soundtrack as well oh my it god makes, the soundtrack <laughs> freaking enigma forever enigma sadness <laughs> like just playing the whole thing i lost my mind when that started playing Boop, boop, oh my god. <laughs> it's so good in the worst way all right <laughs> So we've gotten some initial thoughts and feelings out there. Uh, so I think we should launch into this. I would say probably this is one of those kind of movies where we just sort of give an over, overarching view of the plot. Because I don't think we're going to sure. be diving in heavily yeah. to each scene by scene. So let's. So whoever wants to take it, of uh, give us what the, the, the basic idea. So I guess spoilers if you care on <laughs> Boxing Helena, who would like to go? I can go. Uh, basic plot is it starts off. You see this little boy, and he's being ignored by his parents. Uh, and playing in the background at this party that he's at is "You're nobody till somebody loves you," and it's like, oh, okay, all right. And you think maybe yeah. you think at that point maybe I'm a little bit smart for picking up on that. No, 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 no. There is no subtlety in this movie. Everything is punching you in the nose. It's so on the nose, like it's ridiculous. So just. That continues throughout. Fast forward. This little boy is now a man and his mom dies. And he goes to the funeral and then goes to a bar. And he sees this woman and he freaks out and has to leave. And then later he goes for a run. And then on his run he decides, I'm going to stare at that lady through her window. So he goes, it turns out it's like his ex uh, that he slept with. He had a one night stand and he's obsessed with her. Uh, Stares at her through the window. Decides to throw a party in his uh, now dead parents mansion. Uh, invites her, keeps her purse. She f- goes to fly to Mexico the next day, but can't because he has her purse. So he goes to give it to her at the airport, but conveniently forgets her address book, which she desperately needs to go to Mexico, I guess. <laughs> so he's like, oh, I wouldn't even know what to look for. You'd better come back with I me I might to my need house. to write a postcard to <laughs> my aunt. <laughs> like, it's so... God, all of it's contrived. Anyway... So gets in the car, they go back to his mansion, and he's trying to keep her there. He's like, have 
have lunch with me. Just stay and have lunch. She's like, I just want to go to Mexico. Get me my pocketbook. <laughs> my address book. Sorry. He finally gives it to her, and she loses her mind. He won't drive her back to the airport, so she starts running away, screaming at him. Uh, she is, by the way, very much painted as the hot, unavailable woman that everybody wants. She's a manic, sexy dream girl is what I wrote in my notes. Like, she's definitely that, like, at the party, I forgot to mention, she's, like, takes off her shoes and I think her dress and is in, like, her under clothes and just is like yeah i'm gonna play in the fountain yeah it's like it's like right when she gets to the party too it's like she just grabs an hors d'oeuvre and then just heads straight into the fountain she's like ah i know it's this terrible moment because like (laughs) you know he he invited her there and he's so excited and like (laughs) some other woman is like who's that lady and he's like it's helena he like puts his hand over (laughs) his heart and she and there's like this slow motion of her like playing in the fountain wasn't that it's like other woman his that's and his, it's like, his girlfriend. Girlfriend. His girlfriend, yeah. over at this point. Oh, and then, And I think she's, like, you know, the fountain's, like, shooting up. It's, like, a lot of stream shit. I think she's, like, jerking off the streams or something. Like, it's, like, very, yeah, very it's, heavy. It's, it's, it's definitely in there. Oh, I haven't yeah. mentioned that uh, every other scene is boobs. We haven't gotten to that point. I, I should have mentioned. It's very established very early on. This is a very booby movie. Um, which is strange, because this is directed by a woman and I never would have gotten that from watching it because the male gaze is 100% of this movie. It is nothing but so male I, gaze. I, I have some of the director's comments on that, so I can bring that up in a bit. But yeah, okay. go ahead. All right. Yeah, plot. So <laughs> so she, uh, at his house, he won't drive her back to the airport. She's, just, she's like, screw you. I'm going to the airport. I'm going to get a ride. And she starts yelling at him as she's backing up. And they have this close-up shot of her, like, with the road behind her. And immediately it was like, she's going to get hit by a car. I know what's happening. <laughs> I'm very smart. She's also backing up. She's also backing up, and the the sound of the truck coming. They give it like this huge, loud, clanging sound on the soundtrack. Yeah. So like, anyone in the audience is like, "Oh, she's clearly going to get hit," but she just like can't hear this huge truck barreling down. Like the like the truck from Duel is coming after her. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous. So yeah, she backs up, backs into a truck, and you have that like very. Uh, old time. She gets way of pet cemetery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you see the truck from like eight different angles, and you see her face from two other angles that are completely unnecessary. It's like they just cut to a bunch of different things. She gets hit. It fades to black. It fades up, and she is still at Nick's house. Like it's no, it's just Nick in his house. Doctor Nick. Sorry. Uh, and he's like putting something together and he's taking it into a room and he opens the opens these fancy doors. He lives in a mansion and she's sitting there on the bed, like looking gorgeous, uh, except it's made clear that under the sheets, she has no legs. Oh, my God. So basically she got hit by a car and he decided to amputate her legs so that he could keep her. As his beautiful sex well, doll. One, one of one of the legs is shown as being like possibly injured to the point of yeah you couldn't repair it. It's hard. It's hard to you know you don't know as an audience member like the leg is like shown as being like torn up badly. The other one we don't see that happening to. Um, he is a doctor, but yeah, then she's in the bed and both legs have been amputated. So yeah. there's sort of like no question at that point of like. <laughs> Oh, okay. This wasn't for medical reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh, and I forgot to mention uh, more quote-unquote subtext uh, that is not at all subtext. Th- throughout this mansion, there are armless statues. Uh, and what are those things that uh, 
people who make clothes put the clothes on. I forget what those are called. Mannequins? Yeah, but there's the, the cloth ones that you can, like, put pins uh, in. There's a specific word. Yeah, for uh, yeah, I can't remember what they're Yeah, called. I'm not cool enough. I don't make clothes. My friends who do are going to be punching me when they hear this. Anyway, it's just, like, not at all subtle. So, um, yeah, he tries to keep her. Uh, he starts going crazy. He stops going to work. He unplugs his phone. People are worried about him. But he's like, I've got all I need because Helena is here. And he's trying to convince her that it's all for her own good. And she needs him. And she's screaming at him constantly because she's like, I hate this. You cut off my legs and won't let me leave. And it's... I already hated you before. <laughs> yeah, I hated and I made that before. clear. And then you shot my legs off. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it just spirals from there, uh, and eventually, at one point, man, I have so much to say about so many of these scenes, but at one point, uh, she gets really mad and starts to strangle him, and immediately I'm like, well, there go her arms, and what do you know, next scene, she has no arms. <laughs> I thought I thought he was going to chop him off after she the first scene when she was just throwing things at him, right, right. and it's yeah. like, oh, those arms have to go, I can't, <laughs> I can't be throwing pillows at me. But it just gets worse. Oh, God, I hate this movie so much. It gets worse because, <laughs> like, basically, it's all coming out that, like, he is crazy about her. And, again, with the non-subtext, uh, he had a very weird relationship with his mother who is extremely overtly sexual uh, and also very um, unloving and uh, cold towards him. So he's always like, oh, unloving woman, I must go for that. <laughs> and, again, not subtle. Um but also, then, his mom always had her boobs out. Like, always like boobs everywhere, so all the time. Like, uh, <laughs> so he just loves the woman who, who flashes him and yells at him. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> that's really his type. Uh, and so he, it, it kind of comes out like that he's not good at sex, and he's really very. Uh, he feels very emasculated by that, and she uses that against him all the time. And then for some reason, she's like, "Well, I'm going to teach you how to have sex, I guess," and. He hires a prostitute, and she watches him make the prostitute happy, I guess, and be good at sex. And then it's like, hooray, you're That's when the Stockholm Syndrome hits. <laughs> right, That's, exactly. And then she's like, did, what did it? He did, uh, there is a, there's a good line in there when she is uh, mocking him, and he says, if you were a real woman, you'd yeah. lie to me about our sex. <laughs> And right. he doesn't even say it like angry. Right. He's no. just sad. He's like, this Don't is how it works. works. Yeah. <laughs> God, all the dialogue is bad. All the plot is bad. So she is into it, I guess. This poor torso woman is like, I guess this is good. I guess this man is good at sex now. So now I'm into him. Uh, oh, and we haven't even mentioned his boy, her boyfriend. Um, or a kind of boyfriend. Kind Cause of... like, so it's Bill Paxton who Correct. was the guy who, when he was spying on her, who she was making love. And they have a little scene after he, <laughs> Leaves the tree and stops spying on him. He's awful too, so it's just like everyone's just awful. My my comment to myself was like, "Am I supposed to believe Bill Paxton in this role?" Yes, like they present him as like so that for one thing, he's wearing fucking leather pants. So picture Bill Paxton in leather pants. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, like, I mean, Bill Paxton like wasn't like a bad looking guy or anything, but they have him in this role where he's supposed to be this sort of like bad boy sexualized dude and i was like yeah i don't think like <laughs> bill paxton like no. in, in nearly Not everything he's done i mean like in terminator he was like a street tough that gets killed by the terminator and then in weird science he was like the bully of you know the bully brother or whatever 
other than that, past that point in his career, I feel like anything Bill Paxton was in was always like a very Tom Hanks average likable mm-hmm. man, like mm-hmm. the like the everyday, you know, kind of guy. And he's I mean, I don't know, I guess in True Lies he plays like a sleazy dude, but I don't know, just I I I found it impossible to believe Bill Paxton as this like not at swag, all yep. swaggering like yeah. Lothario guy. He enters uh, every He's scene. like a club owner, yes. yeah, and he's like, I gotta get back to the club. I'm gonna go get laid. I, go, oh, I just go to a lot, yeah. <laughs> he he enters every scene like a cartoon bulldog with his arms out and like waddling around like he's this big tough guy, and it's so pathetic Ugh. and weird and strange. Does not fit him at all. But, and at one point, he delivers the line when he leaves, after he gets pissed off at home oh, yeah. or something, he says, pasta whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> That's like, my favorite line we... of the whole movie. And Incredible. keep in mind, this is two years after Terminator came out, so that line was absolutely meant as a reference God, it's so good. to Terminator. Well, I guess thinking about it, it might have been a reference to him being in the first Terminator. It might have been. even weirder. Yeah, just Asta whatever. Amazing. So I'm like, I'm going to start saying that. That is going to become part of my normal lexicon. But anyway, I bring him up because (laughs) uh, Torso and... um, uh, Old Stumpy. (laughs) And and a horrible doctor manipulator are having dinner. And she, this is post when he's been re-emasculated. Ugh, and I want to get we're going to come back to that because there's a scene there that I just have to talk about. But they're having dinner and Bill Paxton Ray is his name in the movie. Ray like finds them and busts into the house. Wait, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Very important. They're having dinner and she's like, do you love me? And basically is like, I want you to make me feel like a woman. What she says specifically, give me back some of what you've taken away. Kiss me. And so he's like, oh, I win. I did it. She loves me now. And so they start making out. Ray busts in and ruins the whole thing. Ruins dinner. Starts beating up do- poor Dr. Nick, who is really the victim in all of this. Hi, everybody. Everybody. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes. This is my old friend, Mr. McGrath. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to stop there with Lovely. the plot. Yes, we'll come, we'll, we'll we'll come put back. A pin yeah. in it's not the end. And we'll come yeah. back. Oh, God. All right, so where to now? So that's that's your uh, Cliff Notes version of Boxing Helena. It's all you need. Um, but we will come back to some of the stuff at the end. But, yeah, like uh, any scenes or whatever. Or do you want me to bring up what I mentioned with the director? Save that uh, yeah, for the sure. end. I think you should okay. save that for the end. Right. I just want to complain about okay. the movie for a while before right. we hear okay. what yeah. I want to discuss it on its own merits before yeah. we hear any intentions. The tree scene locked and loaded in my but mind. Please bring it. The first yes, one that yes, was just yes. like what? So yeah, like he he goes and he just climbs up in her tree to look at her bedroom window <laughs> as she's having sex with Bill Paxton and. This the most awful song I, I, is playing. I'll, I'll, I'll first I'll preface this uh, with what Eric's saying is we have no other than knowing that she exists from yeah the like ten minutes scene, in <laughs> there's no like there's no indication that like he's going out to do this that he has any kind of plan that it's like it's just like he goes for a run and then all of a sudden he's climbing a tree and you're like what yeah and then yeah. he's staring into this woman's bedroom and you're and like oh her. Okay, he's, does yeah. he do this regularly? Is this just a today thing? I don't... He's got his girlfriend at home who is waiting at home. She's, like, making him a special dinner, and he's like, I just want to go for a run first. And she's like, that's yeah. fine. 
Alright, Eric. And then he gets up in this tree, and then he's just watching her, and then, yeah, this awful song is playing, and it's just the chorus. It's like, woman in chains. That's And I'm just like, this is... It's like, yeah, talking about how the soundtrack completely takes you out of it. And not like the scene itself is good either. It's just it's kind bad. of stupid, and it's like... I. And it's weird because, like, I'm thinking at this point, like, okay, this is David Lynch's daughter, and, like, if this was David Lynch doing this scene, it would be a lot more creepy and, and yes. weird. Yes, But it, but it isn't. It nope. just, and it's, like, it's just kind of dumb. And then, and then he leaves, and then, and then she, like, kicks Bill Paxton out. Because, well, he calls her on the phone. Oh, that's right. And she answers it Nick, during Nick sex. Yeah, yeah, Nick calls. And just doesn't say anything, and then hangs up, and she's like, ugh. And Paxton's like, all right, well, that. he answers the phone. yeah can we continue having sex? And she's like, no, you bore me. Get out. And he's like, Ugh. you know, so it's like, yeah, it was just terrible to each other for no reason. <laughs> Art Garfunkel comes out. Okay. Yeah. He's fine. Him and his weird tufts of hair. They're fine. Oh my God. I think God. Garfunkel actually is the one warning him not to get involved with yes. this woman. Yeah. Yes. He yeah. Knows, yeah. That's his role, but yeah. and it's, it's on deaf ears. Oh God. Um, Wait, let me, let's talk about this, this tree scene a little bit more. I've so much to say about it so this is the first time that uh i'm like oh okay male gaze because so much of this is just him watching helena at the window and i wrote down in my notes because she's standing at the window pretty close to this tree in a way that's like i feel like you'd be able to see this dude like right outside Mm -hmm. your window but she's got like these gauzy curtains and she's drinking and this yes extremely early 90s music is playing it looks (laughs) it looks like the i would do anything for love music video inside her house yes and i wrote i too like to light a thousand candles and stare at my window while being caressed by gauzy curtains and drinking booze and she's take she's got this like i don't know probably scotch something on the rocks and she's just like pressing it against her body and i'm like yeah that's also how i drink that's definitely i don't put it in my mouth i just put it on my neck that's how drinking works and it's so ridiculous and it's awful and he's just in the tree going uh wait and we didn't even mention wait i think it happens after this so then she's doing all this and he's like "Ooh, she's she's being sexy and i get to watch and then another man comes in ray bill paxton and he's like my fantasy is ruined she's with another man and so he leaves the tree and starts running home that's right it's a slow slow motion like yeah is so bad they keep doing slow-mo and it happens throughout the movie there's so much bad slow-mo in this movie it's fantastic and he's just running and at one point before he goes home he ends up back in front of her place in a car but he didn't go home he was running because he falls asleep in his car outside of her house and then wakes up and goes, Anne! And he remembers to go home where Anne has fallen asleep on the couch because he never came home. It makes no sense. Where did the car come from? I hate that scene. Sorry, go on. <laughs> uh, I think that's all I had to say about the tree scene. Great. Great. It's so bad. All right, what uh, what specifics do we want to hit on here? We, I feel like we just need to talk about Nick's character or lack thereof. But there's well, a he's, lot he's there. just he's just he's just super annoying, and it's not. You kind of like you know, and and she's not really painted a good light either. She's no. just kind of like flighty and flippant and just. And, and I think everyone in Nick's life can see it, and that's why they're just like, why would you get involved with this person? Mm-hmm. But he just 
doesn't care like he's just got eyes for her and then and then just yeah like the way he goes about trying to get her attention is just awful yeah and you know you, you mentioned how he manipulates the whole scene with taking her bag and meeting her at the airport and there's i think after hasta whatever my favorite line of the movie <laughs> is when she's like finally she's like fine i'll go back to your house and i'm gonna get that bag my address book and that's it you're driving back to the airport and he's like okay and then it cuts to him in his car coming up the the driveway and he's he's saying well here we are at the house i'm glad i was able to tell you that long story in such great detail that's the line and it's such you know as people do let us continue to engage like inside presenting the us in the scene and it's just like and it's a great comedic line because it's like you just you just feel so bad for this woman at this point because it's like yeah that's like this she has had to deal with probably a horrible car ride of him just nonstop, yeah. not shutting up about whatever, oh, and she God. just doesn't want anything to do with him. And then, and yeah, and that's when she, she tells him straight up at that point, like, I don't like you, and this isn't going to happen, so stop it. And then, yeah, like, uh, things just go on from there. Yep. But yeah, well, his, his character's not good. <laughs> well, and his character's particularly weird because, like, there's plenty of movies out there in, like, the horror or thriller genres that will have obsessive weirdos, um, whether it's, you know, sexualized or not. And, you know, so this falls in line with all of those, but usually those obsessive weirdos are, like, intelligent, clever, <laughs> dangerous. Like, like there's something about them that, like, makes them a legit threat, and so you're scared on, the beh- on behalf of someone as an audience member, or there's something about them that's alluring, so you're kind of like, oh, is this guy bad or not bad? And like, until you get to a certain point. But this guy, like, there's so many points where, I mean, maybe the point of the movie is just he's supposed to be this weak-willed, milk-toast guy, and <laughs> that's fueling all of this. But there's so he has this girlfriend, and he throws this big lavish thing. All he, he Gatsby's it all out for mm-hmm. his Daisy. It's perfect. Um, yep. to, you know he's he's doing it for Helena, and she shows up, and then he's just so transparently just staring at her with his yeah. girlfriend next to him. So like, there's no subterfuge. <laughs> there's not None. like, oh, I gotta I gotta do this on the sly here because otherwise it's gonna cause some problems. No, it's like he's just like openly gaping at her in this fountain, which granted, I get it, but he's just doing <laughs> it and his girlfriend's like standing right next to him and then later yes. they have like a fight, argument, whatever, in in like a study. Yeah. And well, she's he's changing him, his shirt, by the way. He just goes into the study and starts changing his shirt for no reason <laughs> and just trying to have a normal conversation. Sorry, that was a note that I had. Why is he changing well, his shirt? He probably sweated through it because he's just an awkward buffoon. <laughs> so she's she's questioning, like, are you sleeping with her? And he, he isn't as of this point in the film. I mean, he really – does he ever? Do they ever One- – Near, well, no, I mean, apparently it happened before, one time yeah. but beforehand, no. but even later in the movie, it yeah. doesn't happen, no. right? Mm-mm. Okay, nope. so um, or at least it's never shown. Um, but uh, yeah, so she's she's accusing him, and so you would think like anyone in this position, if they are like some shady dude, and they're trying, they they want to either like leave their girlfriend or cheat on their girlfriend or whatever he's doing. You would think they have some kind of even low-level concept of a plan of, like, here's how I'm going to play it when it happens. But he's just like, uh, what do you mean? Well, yeah, 
He's like he doesn't even just, respond. He, even I know he's just like he's just like slack jawed. Like like he has nothing. Like he hasn't even thought of a possibility when he when he was like he sees her at the bar. He's obsessed with her. He goes up into the tree to stare at her. Then he has this party to invite her to it. So there's been like steps to this thing. It's not like she just shows up at the bar one day. And he, this is all spur of the moment. It's like he's had days of this. He's mm-hmm. clearly been obsessing over her for days, if not weeks prior or whatever. I mean, I don't know. Well, they say with the girlfriend, she thinks he's going to propose. So presumably they've been together for months yeah. or years. Yeah. It's, you know, whatever. Anyway, so he's presumably been obsessing over Helena for at least weeks, if not longer. And then when it's put to him of like, hey, what's going on with this? He has zero response. He has nothing, nothing to fall back on nothing. of like, oh, yeah. even just literally like, oh, we're just close friends. Or, you know, we were, you know, I I care about her a lot. Something that like yeah. even any normal the, person would try right. to like push away. Even if you're a scumbag, you yeah. would still do something. Yeah. And the truth is, no, he isn't sleeping with her. So he can actually honestly honest. say... Yes. No, I'm not. Even though it's very clear that he's because during that scene before she asked that, like the one guy that that's at the party that the girl's gonna leave with is like, "Hey, I'm taking her home," and he's like, "She's leaving!" Like this, and it's <laughs> yeah. just like, "Wow!" And that's when the the girlfriend's like, "What's going on here?" And then he's just, just nothing. Just he's got nothing. It's just yep. like he has little no attention span for anything except Helena. God, yeah, it's just that all of that. Russell uh, is the guy that um, she goes home with. It's like a doctor friend of Nick's, I guess. Um, And Russell's actually like an attractive dude and like seems like he knows how to have a conversation with another human being. Uh, And at one point, Helena takes off her scarf and gives it to him, I think. And that's like a whole big deal. Uh, because it's like, ooh, she's marked him, and uh, Nick is jealous that he has the scarf. But this all comes back later, because when, when Russell's leaving, he's got the scarf around him, and it's like a whole thing. Later, when Nick successfully has a sex, and he's, like, essentially now a man, I guess, uh, he, he has this vision of Russell walking back up to him with the scarf around his neck and Russell takes off the scarf and hands it back to him and is like, you've earned this essentially like symbolism, Jack. It's called symbolism. (laughs) I don't even remember that part. I don't either. And and you describing it as like, wow. Oh my God. Yeah, It was awful. I can picture that and how awful it must've been. Yeah, It was bad. It was real dumb. Well, we'll all just have to revisit the film and look for that. Uh, Yes. But, like, okay, other things about Nick. In the beginning, one of the earlier scenes, I noticed, I was like, it looked like he had cotton in his ears. And I was like, is this a mistake? And then it yeah, kept I happening. That too. He kept having it, but kind of only in the beginning. Uh, and I noticed then... at the end. I, I, I saw okw. it I saw sure. it in one moment, and it made me wonder, yeah, like, was there a plot reason? Was there something that I missed of, like, why this was? But I don't, I don't know. So you keep seeing him for several scenes with, like, just, I think in one ear, uh, looks like cotton or wax or something. And then in the scene where he's changing his shirt for no reason, he puts eardrops in. And you're like, oh, okay. 
that never comes up again. That's just that's just there. He's a guy who has eardrops and puts cotton balls. I, I got in. a I got a trick ear here. You see, <laughs> it's uh, like, maybe why? that's that might explain a lot because he, maybe he's just deaf and that's why he doesn't respond to anyone correctly or li- or listen to Helena when she says get away from me it's just, just... <laughs> don't cut off more of my limbs <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and he's so like weird there's um oh they try to establish in the beginning uh Linton you were talking about how they tried for movies like this when you have this creepy guy they try to be like there's something interesting about him he's apparently a kick-ass surgeon like he's he like goes, the chief of surgery yeah he like goes in he's super young and he goes to his mom's funeral, immediately goes back into work, and, like, crushes some amazing surgery. And Red Foreman, uh, Kurtwood Smith, I had to look it up, uh, is, like, his older rival, and he's really jealous. He's like, I thought you were supposed to be at the funeral today, as Nick is going in to just totally save this child's life. Uh, slam dunks it. Everyone's really impressed. And that's the end that we see of his cool career as a doctor, really. Like, it's it, they just establish yeah. early on, hey, he's really good at surgery. The end. Like, that's that's <laughs> all. But I guess that's so that later when we see how smoothly her legs and arms are cut off, we're like, yeah, that makes sense because of how he saved that kid's life in the beginning. Because <laughs> there's no blood. There's no gore. There's nothing. No. Which is why, again, not a horror movie. Ugh. He's just so weird. <laughs> And then, and then, so when when uh, Kirkwood Smith comes back in the picture, I think the only other scene he's really <laughs> yes. in, he's the first one to discover that he's got Helena in a in a bed with no legs. Yes, yes. And uh, that whole scene, he's it's basically like, "What's going on here?" And then Nick is like, "Oh, well, you know, she, I had no choice. Like, she was going to die. I had to like do the surgery. Now, you know me. I'm a surgeon. That's I had to <laughs> I had to I had to act. And you know, Kirk, he can he can kind of see what's going on, but he's like. But I guess the plot is also he wants to be the chief of surgery, yes. and Nick is supposedly going to like resign or give. It's because he up. has stopped showing up for work. He just yeah, stopped. and like, and he's like, oh well, I have till Monday to decide, right? And he's like, yeah, but he he like wants a letter of recommendation to get the job, and then Nick is like, yeah, I'll give it to you, and then basically Kirkwood Smith just takes that as like, I won't tell anyone that she's here if you give me this like letter of recommendation and that's yeah. all his, he really serves in the plot. Yep. So yeah. like more, more, more contrived plot. I, that's why yes. no one ever yes. figures out where she is, even though once he gets the job, he could just then rat on him. Right. That's exactly. The right that's what do. I thought. Speaking <laughs> of contrived plot, uh, there was one part that I was sitting there like, why would you do this? What was yeah. to be gained just one from part? this? One key, one key part <laughs> Um, we've already established that he's kind of a dumbass, so maybe that's part of it. Um, you know, in true Red Foreman fashion, um, <laughs> that uh, that our, our lead character is kind of a dumbass here. But um, <laughs> he, um, yeah, so he's he's had Helena. I'm for a while. I'm pretty sure this is past the Kurtwood Smith stuff, and he orders up some flowers to be sent. <laughs> To Helena's home, and I think it lists his name, but even if it doesn't list his name, there would be a record of, like, the phone call at the very least. But it's basically just, like, missing you, hope you're doing well or something, and there's some card attached. So Bill Paxton's boyfriend ends up seeing it outside of her apartment because obviously he couldn't go inside her apartment because nobody's there. So it's like it was left at the door. He sees it, he reads it, he gets all pissy, 
nothing comes of it until later he like barges through the house, you know, but like nothing immediately comes of it. It's just like a thing of like, if you have captured this woman and have mutilated her and have kidnapped her and, you know, anything you're doing will send you to prison at this point. Why are you creating a paper trail (laughs) that like anyone who's looking for her would be like, oh, maybe it's the weird fuck who just left a bunch of flowers on her door. Maybe I should go check on that guy because he has like no connection to her other other like prior to this, like they slept together once. She was at one of his parties at best. Like if you were a cop looking into the disappearance of Helena, he would be like one thousandth down on your list. Unless somebody said, oh, go check on that weirdo doctor because you're going to check with like her relatives. You're going to check with close friends. You're going to check with like people she works with. I mean, often these are, yeah, you're going to look into all that stuff. But now you've got like flowers at her home that are at least traceable back to this guy. Why do that? I (laughs) unfortunately have to defend the movie in this moment. And I hate it. I hate it. This is on you, Jack. I agree, but this also brings up two things. This is very, two of my favorite moments in the movie. This all ties them both together. So, um, the way that Nick invites Helena to the party is he goes to this flower shop, and he goes in and he writes her a letter with the flowers and invites her to this party. Uh, and I loved that scene because it deeply reminded me of <laughs> the room. <laughs> when he goes in flower shop that's scene. me flower shop scene oh my god hey because, doggy yeah. you're my favorite hey, customer that's what i wrote down like hi nick you're my favorite customer because it made it clear i wrote thank you dr kavanaugh you're my favorite customer because he goes it makes it clear that he goes to that flower shop it was when he went out for a run that's what happened he goes out for a run sees her goes and gets her flowers somehow ends up in a car and sleeps in front of her house but it's clear he's a regular at this flower shop and, like, mm-hmm. regularly sent her flowers for a long time. Because it's established he, like, um, took like, a long time to get put it on your account, right? And he's yes, like, yeah. Yes, yeah. So it was very reminiscent of the room, and it was amazing. But later, before... Like, this is after the legs are gone, but I think before any other stuff happens. Anyway, at one point, somebody comes to visit. Might have been Anne? Um... And she gets out and drives away. And when she leaves, Bill Paxton is sitting there in the bushes, like, staring. Oh, that's right. And uh, Nick sees him. Nick, like, makes eye contact with Bill Paxton, who is not being sneaky, even though he thinks he's being sneaky. And he's like, he sees me. And then he just, like, sinks down into the bushes weirdly. And so the reason that Nick sends the flowers is because he's throwing Bill Paxton off the scent. Like, he wrote that to be, he says, I miss you, where are you? And so Bill Paxton reads it, and he's like, well, shoot, he doesn't know where she is either. Dang, I guess mm. she's not holed up in that guy's house. It was stupid. I agree right. with you that, like, long term, that was a bad yeah. plan, but. I guess Bill Paxton's also stupid enough to. To believe it. Believe yeah. it for a while. He was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this is fine. Oh, God, it was so dumb. It might, it might be interesting to think that this movie was an inspiration on Tommy Wiseau and how human dramas are supposed to work. You're right. He probably saw this and was like, maybe he was a big fan of this movie. (laughs) It's like, Oh, it's the dialogue is about on point, uh, in that it is nonsensical. A lot of the time. Oh God, it's so bad. It's like all one note. It's just 
Nick is pathetic and squealy and sad all the time, and Helena is, like, a raging bitch, but also, like, at a certain point in the so. movie, it's like, yeah, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Right. Actually, most of the movie it makes a lot of sense, because yeah. he is, will not leave her alone, is stalking her, and she's like, I've made it very clear that I don't like you. Please stop. Right. And Although, then why did she even show up for that party? If... That's a good question. <laughs> I also had that question. I'm not yeah. sure. Ugh. Well, yeah, I mean, it, again, it's just like none of the, the things the characters do needed it, sense. Eric. That's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, I'll hop in and say that I honestly don't have a whole lot of specifics off of what we've already addressed just because the movie's real bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, there's just not – scenes aren't – weren't even like interesting enough to keep my attention most of the time. Uh, yeah. It's it's not the like jaw on the floor. Oh my God. Like, I mean, we we're coming off of, we just did the garbage pale kids movie, which is also horrible. And we talked about on that one, how that's a very bad movie, but it's not even like fun or funny bad, but there's a lot of like weird decisions and, you know, parts are interesting just kind of like why are they doing this or that but yet at the end of the day garbage pail kids movie was not even like particularly like laughing at it this isn't even in that category this is just like it most of it's just like i said boring and bland and when it's not being that you're seeing decisions it's making where it's like oh well this could have been interesting you could have made this like a cool thriller in some ways you could have made it a dark horror film in some ways it just like keeps coming to like forks in the road and never taking anything it's just just more forks i i have the perfect scene to encapsulate that and it's like ooh, you're trying and you got close but you just failed uh it's when so i think at this point yes she still has her arms uh and she's in a wheelchair and uh nick's girlfriend Anne comes over and she's like what's going on where have you been we haven't heard from you i was worried about you um but she's like knocking on the door and trying to get in and trying to find her key that she has to this place meanwhile nick is like oh what do i do with what do i do with helena so he gags her right because she's trying to scream and be like help he's holding me captive so he gags her he does nothing to her arms but for some reason, she does not try to remove the gag whatsoever. He's is just this, pushing her before, around. Before, Wait, is, is this, bef- this is pre- before the arms? amputation? One hundred percent, she still has her arms. No, okay. one, I All wrote right. it down. Seriously? Yes, oh. absolutely. So he pushes her out of the room, and she is actually kind of like rolling the chair with him, and like still screaming with the gag in. I think when he pushes her out of the room, he does something to her arms because it's later after this. Basically, he and Anne start to, like, go at it in the, like, hallway. Uh, And then uh, he gets too excited too quickly. And she's like, it's okay, it's okay. Um, And then after that, he kicks her out because he's, like, ashamed and also because Helena saw it. And after that, they get into a fight. And that's when she chokes him. It's after that. And so it's the next day that she loses her arms. But no, he puts a gag on her. And just, she's like, oh, no, whatever shall I do? <laughs> like, just you know what? I think take it out. Do whatever. Yeah, because of her character, I think it's because uh, 
him him and the girlfriend start having sex and she's just so into sex that if it's happening in front of her she can't <laughs> she's like, help wow. but just watch that's like, her I don't whole, even want to leave anymore her whole yeah. character is that's her that's mean, her shtick <laughs> yeah mean and like sex that is all mean and like sex <laughs> <laughs> I was so angry so angry at that scene I was like just do anything be useful in any way nope okay the plot demands that you don't yeah. fight against the gag sure okay I'll say, like, the one, I think I alluded to this earlier about the one, like, uh, scene or shot I thought was effective is that I think it's right after he cuts off her arms and Mm -hmm. he's, like, got her on this, like, chair that's on top of the table so it kind of looks like a throne and she's all dressed up. And there's a shot where, like, she's in the background and he's in the foreground staring, like, towards the camera but off. And it's a well-framed shot and it looks pretty creepy. And it would be effective if if that was, like, a reveal during the movie that was just in general more interesting but it's like yeah like they they miss the mark on so much that even stuff where and that's why i would say this you know even as bad as this movie was i still would say it's not it wasn't as bad as like (laughs) tiptoes yeah true because i thought of that while i was watching this because objectively there's like moments of more competence yep yeah even though both scripts are absolute shit that like it's I could still put it above that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. I wanted to double check on uh, Jack's math here about arms or no arms. And so uh, I, no, I, you know, just this movie is a fucking mess. So it's entirely possible. <laughs> we could, somebody could have been mixed up, but I wanted to, I wanted to see when you were saying it, I believed you, but I wondered to like, Believe okay, is there an listen. insert shot? Is there an insert shot that, like, displays, you know, some kind of rationale for the arm thing or whatever? Um, so, yeah, it's even better. I started laughing there a second ago as so I was skimming it. Because even better, because it's like, he gags her. She's in the other room. The girlfriend starts to come to the front door. The other guy's in, like, a different room for a moment. Or the, the main guy's in a different room for a moment the doctor. Helena comes wheeling into the room using both arms. Yes, yes. Gag still in her mouth. <laughs> yes, so yes. she has the yes. bit. So at that point, she easily obviously could have just pulled the gag down, been screaming her head off while rolling. Correct. Because the girlfriend is like outside the door 20, 25 feet away. Yeah. You would have been able to hear a woman screaming her head yeah. off. So she's still gagged for no reason. Yes. Rolling in. He yes. sees it. He pushes her back into some room. She's like hitting him, gag still in her mouth, hitting at him. <laughs> he pushes her, and then she's just somewhere. We don't really know what he does with her. Then the scene, as Jack talks about, plays out. But the part I started laughing was, I was like, "All right," because you you really only see her through like a crack of the door while she's watching them. So I was like, "Okay, did when he took her off screen, did he like tie her arms up or something?" So after the girlfriend leaves. You see him, like, go into his study. I think he puts his sh- another shirt on or something. Probably. I don't know. But but there's, like, some time between the girlfriend leaving before before he goes back to Helena. He goes back to the bedroom where he's been keeping Helena. And she's in the chair. And him going up to her, she just takes off the, the, uh, the gag at that point. So the fight can begin. Yes. So it's yes. like... <laughs> her arms were not bound. He does not untie her. Yep. He's not. It's not like oh, I took her off off screen and then I tied her up. It's yeah. like no, she just sat in that room yes. with with a gag in her mouth. <laughs> and now that the plot needs her to be able to talk, well, well okay, we'll take the gag off. Even if even if at that point you decided that you weren't going to scream and give yourself up, why not just remove the gag because it's uncomfortable? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, 
<laughs> it's so insane. It's oh, so crazy. Man. I was so angry at that scene. All of my notes on that scene are all in all caps. Like, I was just so mad. <laughs> well, do, do we, uh, do we just talk about the ending now? The, yep, I think... The icing on this time. shit cake? <laughs> yeah. We just get to... <laughs> Somebody else yeah, take it. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll do it. Um, so I, I believe when I've looked up the plot of Boxing Helena in the past, I knew this was like a controversial movie um, and it had a weird concept at its core. And I don't normally look up stuff on movies and like read synopses, like all full synopses into the ending. Like, I, you know, I don't want to be like spoiled on something necessarily. But on some things where I don't necessarily like give a shit, where it's something that maybe I'll check out some point, but I'm more kind of just wanting to get an idea of like, is this even worth looking at? And I sort of did this on Megan is missing where I read enough of like, all right, what's, where does this go? What is this? So I think I did look this up before and I had seen this in the plot synopsis. And when I started it, but that was probably a year or two ago. And so when I started the movie, it was kind of vaguely in the back of my mind that that might be how this ends but I wasn't positive if I was remembering it correctly. But it was. I was correct. The way this movie ends is, it was all a fucking dream. None of it's real. She, uh, well, none of it's real up to a, uh, after a point, I guess. The car accident. She, I, I guess, the car accident actually yeah, happened, up, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The car, everything up to the car accident presumably is legit. And post the car accident is when we enter the wonderful world of Oz. <laughs> Um, but, but prior, but after that point, that's all in the guy's head and is presumably some kind of dream. He mentions like having dreams or nightmares is like, this is recurring, but he had taken Helena. She had the accident. Instead of taking her to his home, he took her to the hospital and I guess Kurtwood Smith operated on her, I think is the implication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm guessing that the doctor is still like the resident doctor there because none of that stuff happened but probably like he's too close to her and you know he he wouldn't want to be responsible that kind of thing so they would probably have like a different doctor operate or something or he's in duress whatever so i think kerwood smith says something about how she's doing or she's going to be okay or whatever and then dr man goes into her bedroom or her like hospital room and she has her legs, has her arms. She's asleep. He just kind of like creepily stares over her. I think there's some monologue or, you know, a voiceover or something. And then there's a thing about like that he's having these like recurring dreams of it. So he's basically like, this is all like a fantasy that he's had that like this way he could possess her or it's like a subconscious fantasy that he's not like actively trying to like have. It's just happening because Again, of all of his the issues with her and his mother <laughs> and all this stuff. So, I know, but, I mean, the movie was written and directed by a woman. It drives me insane. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying that that, like, makes any of these kind of matters okay, but it does start to raise the question of, like, well, what does, what was Lynch's goal with that, some of this? It, it, it was my question. The concept, well, the concept was not by her. Um, the concept was by a guy who is the producer okay. and let me find that makes more okay. sense Pro well here's the thing though producer Philippe Caland initially came up with the idea but wanted a woman to write it because he felt that it shouldn't be written by a guy 
Understandably so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he approached Lynch after she gave a poetry reading. At, fi- at first, Lynch didn't take to the concept, reportedly telling him, quote, well, that sounds kind of terrible. <laughs> However, Kalan was girl. eventually able to convince her to work on it. So, like, you know, I don't so know. So that guy's the her... abusive man. <laughs> he forced well, her to do this. Like, <laughs> I, I, I do think that this is a, a bad movie. I do think it's a failure. Um, and obviously, like, not everyone from their particular, like, class or gender or race is necessarily like they they couldn't make something that would be problematic within that group but i you know i wonder if she viewed it as you know this is an examination on this kind of male obsession or something like that Mm -hmm. she was very young when she did it and i'll bring that up in a minute but but it's like if if she viewed it as you know you know you were supposed to be sympathetic toward helena and thinking that this guy was bad but again the guy's presented as so like wishy-washy and helena's presented as kind of over the top bad at points not that you need clear good guys and bad guys but it's just there's not a clarity of here's my intention with what i'm trying to say with this no one's relatable he has the personality of a wet noodle uh (laughs) and it is not enjoyable to experience in any way I would say, I mean, at least in terms of gender equality, both sexes come off looking pretty bad. This is true. So this if, is you're gonna, if you're going to look at it through that lens, then I guess it's you're pretty right. fair. Now I love it. It's feminist. <laughs> so, so both of you, since I said I, I already thought it was probably going this way, what was your reaction when you found out it was all a dream? I, uh, I actually had it spoiled for me, like, <gasps> right, like, maybe with 15 minutes left in the movie, because I was, like, looking up something on the Wikipedia page... And then accidentally saw that. And then when Dang. I saw it, you know, I knew there was not much left in the movie. I just kind of threw my hands up. I was like, of course, that's how this stupid awful movie ends. <laughs> of course. It has, like, that's, all right. It's just like, okay. It's actually perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that it was an all a dream trope has worked since Wizard of Oz. Like, I think that's one you just have to avoid. And it's like, and in this case, it's like a particular cop out because it, it like, the movie didn't build up anything anyway yeah. and it's like uh whatever <laughs> i i've always found and i'm gonna gonna take us off the rails here but we'll talk about the wizard of oz for a moment because that's a much better movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've always found that it's all a dream thing is even particularly weird in the wizard of oz like like the wizard of oz is a beautiful wonderful amazing classic film but i think it almost operates i think it succeeds despite the plot structure mm. because a norm a normal like uh, the Wizard of Oz at its core is, you know, a fantasy, a fairy tale kind of thing. And it's usually just like, all right, well, here's a, uh, you know, a male or female adventurer. They're thrust in this situation. They've got to accomplish X, Y, and Z. And then they they win the day and blah, blah, blah. I've always found it weird, like, analyzing the Wizard of Oz, like, a normal kind of structure. And then feel free if I'm missing something or I'm off on something, jump in and correct me. But in, like, a normal structure, you would have a character is one way at the beginning of a story and they have to go through a journey to then, you know, the Joseph Campbell kind of shit. They have to go mm-hmm. through a journey and to change in some way, like Luke, Luke goes through a journey in the first star Wars to, to accomplish something and become something different. I've always found it weird in the wizard of Oz that Dorothy's like, Kansas fucking sucks. And I hate my aunt. And like these people are trying to take my dog. And so it's like, she has all these reasons to want to get away from Kansas then she goes meets up press Professor Marvel, 
and he was like oh no actually your aunt loves you very much and you know she's very worried about you and you know and dorothy's like you're right i need to get home right away and so she's like immediately changes she's like back on board with kansas then she get whisked off to oz and now like her journey in oz is not any kind of an emotional journey because she's already hit it it's (laughs) just i literally need to figure out how to get home so it's it always struck me as weird as like the arc that she should be on is like her journey through Oz should make her appreciate her home, mm. but she's already on board with going home. Oh, she yeah. just happens to get picked up by the Oz tornado. <laughs> it's but again, huh. the movie movie is beautiful and wonderful and yeah. like everything, but like that's always struck me as odd. And so then you throw on the kind of it's all a dream, and then even that undercuts it a bit of like, mm-hmm. well, wait. So yeah, I, no, yeah, you're right. I, I I'd forgotten that detail. So it's kind of like the hero's journey out of order but like happens anyway and I really thought of it like that never thought of it either never hmm. I haven't watched that movie in many years especially not beginning yeah. to end I'm sure I've seen like clips caught it on TV things like that but I should yeah. just sit down and rewatch it with that thinking in mind yeah I mean there is the one scene where she's like in Oz and the witch is taunting her and she's seen a vision of Aunt Em like being worried about her and stuff but again Dorothy, from the second she gets to Oz, is like, gotta go home. I, mm-hmm. That's where I need to be. Fuck Oz. <laughs> um, anyway. All right. So that little side journey. Yeah. All right. So what I thought when it was all a dream, uh, I yes, was understandably furious. I was, mm-hmm. again, all caps in my notes, I wrote, what an excellent waste of an hour and a half. Like, I was so <laughs> mad, because I had written down all these things that don't make sense, and all these weird things, like, again, with the, the gag, that she just didn't take off. Uh, and also the scene with uh, Red Foreman, what is his name? Kurtwood d- Mac. Kurt, Kurt Wood Smith. There you go, Kurtwood Smith. Dr. Alan Palmer. Thank you, of that course. very memorable character. Yeah, when he comes in and uh, happens to see Helena, I that scene also made me mad. There's a theme with me in this movie, I guess. Anyway, so when he comes in, uh, Helena looks amazing. Every single scene she's in, she looks gorgeous, which in retrospect makes sense because it's all in his freaking head. But <laughs> this guy, Alan, comes in and uh, sees her and is immediately super suspicious. And she looks completely fine. There's no blood. There's no bruising. He doesn't ask, who is this lady? He doesn't say anything. Just immediately is like, what? How is she here? She needs to be in a hospital. Uh, she needs 24-hour care. Like, you don't know who she is. She might be his cousin who's visiting. You didn't ask. <laughs> None of this makes any sense. Your reactions don't make sense. And so all of my rage was pointless. And that made me even angrier. Well, here's like, the thing. <laughs> I guess in a way it does, it does make sense because dreams often don't make sense. Oh my god. And that's why, if you've ever been in a dream and thought, none of this makes sense, and you wake up and it's like, oh, that's why. It's because it was all a dream. So, in a way, the movie kind of brilliantly caps itself by making it all a dream. Fuck off, Eric. (laughs) On that that note, I mean, this is Jennifer Lynch, daughter of David Lynch, who famously incorporates dream and dreamlike imagery into his films. And I think some of his films and shows, it can operate incredibly well, and they're really good. Some of them are, like, more frustrating than they are rewarding. Yes. Um, She's very young and not a trained filmmaker, so she could just be kind of aping 
styles of her father thinking you know well this is how you make a good movie um put a bunch of weird so, symbolism in it and there and now i'm deep now i'm a genius yeah so she didn't do weird symbolism so, she just did stupid obvious symbolism david lynch's stuff is like this doesn't actually make any sense but it looks really cool so it makes you we're feel in, really weird you, so. yeah exactly <laughs> where she's like swung to the opposite side she's like everything's gonna make sense on such an obvious level and you're gonna feel nothing <laughs> Well, you felt rage, so she accomplished something, Jack. (laughs) All right, so a little bit of background information here before we wrap up just in terms of, like, the production of this. All right, so this is what she was quoted in 2009 as saying. I would love to know why people were so mad at me for telling a crazy fairy tale. So I guess this segues beautifully with Jack's uh, just unbridled fury. Uh, I want to know why people are so mad at me for telling a crazy fairy tale. I'm the first to say I didn't know what I was doing. I did the best I could at 19, and all these crazy things happened. The idea that the film was faulted when everyone involved worked so fucking hard and believed in me, and there were these adults believing in me who was essentially a child. When the National Organization of Women slammed me, that was sort of the final straw. It was no wonder I put my legs behind my ears and got pregnant. Laughs. What? Not that I didn't love sex before what? then, but seri- but seriously, it was my child essentially who saved my life. So that's what Lynch said. What's particularly weird about that, other than the moment that Jack <laughs> perked up at, is she says she's 19. That doesn't make sense. I mean, she was young, but she was born in 68. Mm-hmm. So she would have been 19 in 87. This movie came out in 93. I don't think this movie had a six-year production or was shelved. I never saw anything about it being shelved. So, like, I don't know if she was initially approached when she was 19, and that's when she started scripting it or something. I'm not sure. She did write that Laura Palmer book around that age, and then it said that the producer saw her at a poetry reading, and I'm sure her connection to David Lynch didn't help or didn't hurt anything either of like, oh, yeah, we get her. And he's looking for a female you know, director, but I don't think she had any like directing credits really at the time. But so, I mean, if it was filmed in 92, presumably, then she would have been like 24. I only say that because like that's a weird comment to make yeah. saying that you were five years younger if you weren't. Again, maybe she's just talking about starting the process and scripting. I don't know. Yeah. A um, couple other things on it. Uh, originally, Ed Harris was attached, and he was going to be the doctor, I believe, the main doctor. But things kept getting delayed um, at some point, and so he just like said, like I needed to move on with my life and just be out of it. There were a couple of actresses that were considered for Helena that were not Sherilyn Fenn. So they tried to get Madonna, and Madonna was Madonna was interested. She wanted to do it, um, but she ended up dropping out. Let me see. I don't know if it said why Madonna dropped out. Um, but then they get Kim Basinger, um, and so she had agreed to it, but she wanted quote major script revisions, and Gee, I so supposed. Well, supposedly she wanted that the the Helena character to be quote, less of a bitch. <laughs> um, after the production failed to make the changes to Basinger's satisfaction, she also quit the picture. 
However, they ended up suing her um, because I think she was like legit signed on and she lost the lawsuit. So she was given a verdict of $8.1 million, which made her go into bankruptcy. And then there was an appeal process and then she settled for $3.8 million. Best $3.8 so, million dollars ever spent to not be in this movie <laughs> and have it stain her career. Good choice, friend. Yes. Um, but the movie was not successful. It uh, it didn't make very much other than Kim Basinger's $3.8 million. Um, <laughs> it was pretty notorious uh, upon release. It debuted at the Sundance Film Festival where it did receive critical praise apparently um and it got an nc-17 initially but then that was brought down to an r um critical backlash financial failure and let me see um and beyond that it was nominated for the grand jury prize at the 1993 sundance film festival but Lynch ended up winning the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Director at the uh, Golden Raspberries in 1994. Good, good, good. So it had some, like, accolades, weirdly. Uh, and then um, kind of after that, immediately just <laughs> tearing it to shreds and critically panned and everything. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of everything in terms of like the behind the scenes stuff although i am curious jack you mentioned before we started you stumbled upon some kind of imdb reviews section yeah and uh would you like to give us a rough idea of what you were finding so i forget what i was looking up specifically um but i clicked on the reviews just to see because i think it doesn't have a very high rating on imdb but i thought it would be lower than it is and so I was like, oh, let me check out some of these reviews. And they were like, nine, out, nine stars out of ten, ten out of ten, seven out of ten. Oh I'm God. like, what are you doing? So I started reading these reviews. <laughs> and people were like, I don't understand why this movie is being trashed when there's so much great symbolism. And it's not, you know, subtle so that uh, only film snobs can understand it. The normies can understand it. And they were just talking about how great and trying to, like, explain how good the movie was. I'm like, no, no. I saw the same movie. You just, you don't, I don't know who you are or what you're doing or why you love this piece of trash so much, but there are a lot of people trying really hard to defend it and trying to be like, I am smarter than the smart people who like, like they're trying to trash smart people who they think, think of themselves as smart, but while also trying to be like, galaxy brain, I believe is the term. (laughs) I've never heard that before. What does that mean? Galaxy brain. There's like a meme that circulates on the internet of galaxy brain, oh. which is a sort of like, like I get it. Yes. You know, like yes. just trying to like inflate mm-hmm. your own sense of yes. ego and intelligence and, yeah. and but, but at the same time kind of showing off that you're kind of an idiot. Yes. That <laughs> so. is all of the reviews I read were that exactly like trying really hard. They were saying like, shame on you for not thinking that women can be sexual. And I'm like, that's not why this movie's bad. <sighs> That has nothing to do with it. And, oh, God, I was just so angry. And I just, you know, I have this thing where I think all of my opinions, I have very strong opinions. Shocker. Uh, no. And I think all of them are correct, obviously, because if I didn't, they wouldn't be my opinions. I would have different opinions. And so then I get irritated when people don't agree with my obviously very correct and good opinions. But these also just weren't 
the reviews for this were not making their case well, which just made me angry. I was like hoping to see, okay, maybe somehow I missed something. And it was just like a bunch of people going, no, I liked this and I like boobs and you should also like boobs. And I'm like, that's not the problem. This, uh, okay, sorry. On, on that note, uh, this is the thing I kind of uh, teased at the beginning and I would have forgotten to mention it until you uh, were going into some of that. So you had raised like, your surprise at like the male gaze of it or why is Mm -hmm. there so much silk stocking sexuality and everything Mm -hmm. going on in this so i did see apparently like a comment from lynch i didn't copy it down but i saw it when i was looking up trivia and stuff so her claim was that she made it more explicitly sexual because of the casting of sherilyn fenn and she said that if it had been madonna or if it had been kim basinger she wouldn't have, but her argument was not because, oh, they're big stars and they wouldn't have done it. Her argument was they were already, and this, I mean, did make sense to a certain point. They were already seen as sexual in the public's eye. Like Madonna was a very sexualized pop star and Kim Basinger was in Eight and a Half Weeks, which was a very, mm. you know, famously sexy movie. Not a very good one, but a, like <laughs> a famously sexy movie. And so that image, like, of her as, like, this sex pot actress and then Madonna as the, like, sexualized pop star was already out there. And her argument was that she needed to, like, convince the audience why he would, why the the doctor would be that obsessed with Sherilyn Fenn's character. So she she wouldn't, so she pushed the sexualization. Although I found that to be a little bit suspect just because... In Twin Peaks, Audrey Horn is in high school, but she's like a pretty, she like, she's not, she doesn't like have sex with people, but she's, she, she knows what she can do and get away with. Mm. And she uses her sexuality at points in the original show. And she's definitely presented as this kind of like, like I said, I mentioned she's sort of a detective. There's sort of this like femme fatale kind of aspect to her. She's like naughty. It was odd to see that of uh, to see Lynch saying that like Sherilyn Fenn was not already seen as sexual because I feel like people who watch Twin Peaks, right. particularly like younger people at the time, you know, like teens, twenties, thirties, would have been like, oh yeah, Sherilyn Fenn's smoking hot <laughs> based on how she's presented. Like, she's not just she's not presented as just like you know some like dowdy nobody or anything they, mm-hmm. they use her sexuality in the show so i thought that was odd again she's not a big star so i mean it makes sense that on like if you didn't watch twin peaks you might not see her that way but also you know i don't know it, it was a weird argument to see but that was her that was what she claimed yeah uh i just remembered also from the beginning uh where i talked about her character and friends it is actually relevant yes it was driving me crazy when okay. i was first watching this because i was like I know this actress from something. What? And I went and looked at her IMDb and her main movies. I was like, no, from none of these. And then I was scrolling through and scrolling through. I was like, oh, that's right. She played Ginger in Friends. And her main character feature was that she had a fake prosthetic leg. Uh, and uh. I, that's interesting. And I have no idea if it's related or not. Um, but I was like, okay, all right, that connects. That works. Good job, hmm. Friends. Here's another thing to throw out there. We talked about the uh, the ending all being a dream. Ugh. Another infuriating thing is, for me anyway, the film is called Boxing Helena. Mm-hmm. 
that title doesn't make any sense. No. It doesn't nope. relate to anything. No sense. Now, nope. the, the, the cover, the poster, I've seen the poster, and they present her as, like, that she's she doesn't have arms or legs, and she's in some kind of, like, box-like thing. I guess it's supposedly based off of some sort of painting or something, and then the doctor is over top of her. And so I assumed, based on what I knew of the plot, that there was going to be some point where he was keeping her in something or something where it's like he gets so obsessive that he's like, you know, squirreling her away in some... Squirreling Helena. That didn't ring as well. Yes. Dropping but... slices of ham into like a hole in the box. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's... It doesn't do anything. It doesn't relate to anything. It, it I don't... I mean, I don't, she's sitting you know, in a maybe box was at part the of end. An... At like the, we talked about her little throne where he kind of almost literally puts her up on a pedestal. But even then, is like weak sauce. Like, that's yeah. tentative. Yeah, I, I don't know. It was just... It's bizarre, and maybe it was something left over from an earlier version of the script. But at that point, just come up with a different fucking title. Yeah. <laughs> oh, quick note that I just saw in my notes. At one point, uh, Nick is watching footage of his party that we never saw anybody take. Uh, but actually, it was... Uh, clips from the movie somehow like that's <laughs> he was watching the movie that we were also watching i was like oh cool he got the dailies uh, that's nice uh, yeah. <laughs> when does this happen in the movie now you're looking at now sir anything that happens now is happening now what happened to then we're past then when just now we're at now now go back to then when now now i can't why we missed it when just now when will then be now soon <laughs> Oh, All right. <laughs> the great Mel Brooks, everyone. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Speaking of better movies than this one. <laughs> go watch Spaceballs. Yeah. Go watch Dead Ringers. Go watch The Wizard of Oz and Spaceballs. Yep, yep. Do that uh, triple feature. Instead of watching instead this. Instead of boxing yep. Helena. All right. Uh, wrapping up here, last bits to close out. Would you recommend boxing Helena? Okay. So, um... A friend of mine, when we were in high school, we started, like, seeking out movies that uh, were inspired by Misfits song titles. The band The Misfits mm, often nice, nice. has songs that are af named after horror movies. So we would, like, seek those out, both Danzig and Michael Graves' era. Uh, and I was surprised to learn that this one is one of them off of the album Famous Monsters. They have a song called Helena. I uh, never knew that that was inspired by a movie or what's supposed to be a horror movie even though i wouldn't qualify as one i still stand by that yep um <laughs> but even if your goal is to watch all the misfits titles movies uh save this one for last that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> yeah i think i saw that it was like this one and there's another one with helena in it that they used there's a song called helena too it's like a uh, i guess like okay. a deep cut from a yeah yeah and uh our friend david our friend David uh, wasn't able to make it. Um, he was on Chicago time and got mixed up on uh, when we were recording. But he, uh, so he's apologizing. He sent me a message and he said, though I suppose that my punishment is I had to watch that movie. It's funny that the inspiration of one of my favorite Misfits songs <laughs> is such a bad movie. <laughs> Jack, you uh, clearly recommend this film. I think that goes without saying. We can move on. We can move on, So yeah. for me... <laughs> Oh my god. Uh on top of bad writing, bad directing, and it's like I don't take any joy in slamming uh Ms. Lynch, I forget her first name. Jennifer. Thank you. Uh, I don't take any joy in slamming her, uh, but like 
the director's not the only one who makes a movie. You know, there's so many other places that this movie failed. It's not all on her by a long shot. Um, Casting. So much. Casting. Writing. Uh, she, she dropped the ball the least, I would say, of the... Like, I, maybe, yeah. There maybe, should have yeah. been people to help her. Sher- like, Sherilyn Fenn, I think, is fine for the role, but Dr. Man... Oh, I mean, God, it was originally going to so be bad. Ed Harris, but, but Dr. Man and whoever cast, which might have been Lynch... But whoever cast, whoever made the decision to cast Bill Paxton in that role, oh, it's God. like, if you change those two characters, the movie could have been more tolerable. Could have, could have been, yeah. Yeah, tol- I think more tolerable is better. And then on top of all that, we didn't even talk about the fact that it's, like, very ableist. Like, it grossly ableist. At one point, you know, she has lost her arms and her legs uh, and she says, how can I ever look at myself and think of myself as worthwhile, as worth something? And I was like, jeez, yikes. Wouldn't fly Big, today. huge <laughs> yikes, yeah. Um, it's like we've had a – I feel like this podcast has made this movie sound more funny and more fun to watch than it is. It is not enjoyable, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not even worth it because at the end, everything you've thought about, it was a dream, so who cares? <laughs> None of it was real. <laughs> So, no, I don't recommend this movie. Like, don't... We're entertaining. The movie's not. It's not worth it. (laughs) We are entertaining, Jack. (laughs) Um, All right, so for myself, yeah, this is one of those ones where I'm going to have to say I can't recommend it. Uh, Normally, I can come up with some kind of angle, some kind of situational time when you would watch this. It's not even good as... I mean, I, I've watched plenty of horror movies, trashy horror movies mm-hmm. around Halloween of just like, oh, I'll throw this on. I'll give it a shot. I've heard something about it. Or I know the effects are supposed to be crazy or whatever. Or it's just supposed to be a weird movie. It's like, I would not even recommend this as like, throw this on the background for Halloween. Because <laughs> no. it's not, it doesn't operate as that. Nope. It doesn't, it could, it could go in those kind of directions. And it doesn't. And you could say, well, maybe that's a good thing of like, that it, that she's making a choice to like do different stuff, but the choices that are being made do not add up to anything that I think most people would say are worthwhile or enjoyable, even for a dark film, even for like, I'm going to take you on this dark journey. I don't think it's successful even as a dark film. And then he gets to the end and it's just like, Oh, I don't know. It's just about this like crazy weirdo who didn't cut up a woman once. (laughs) (laughs) He wants to though. someday <laughs> he's, he's gonna get there. Subconscious. So you gotta wait for it, yeah. boxing yeah. Helena too. Yeah. Um, you know, holding out for that sequel on Disney Plus, <laughs> the, the legacy sequel. All right, uh, but yeah. So like, I, I I knew of this. I knew of it just based on the weird content. It was one kind of floating out there. I was like, oh, I should see that at some point. And now I have, and I don't ever need to again. So uh, that's it for boxing Helena. So. Three thumbs down. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, yeah. Can I find this? So this movie, it, I wasn't finding it on a lot of places. It was on archive.org for free. Someone had uploaded it to that. It was on YouTube in full. Someone had uploaded the full film and someone had also uploaded the full film in 10 minute segments. So have your pick, whichever you would like for Boxing Helena. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's anywhere else. I wasn't finding it on the regular um, places that I look. So it could be out there somewhere. Uh, it is on DVD, though it may be out of print. I, uh, I couldn't tell based on looking it up. 
but it was definitely like not going for like normal DVD prices. And then no Blu-ray currently. So fingers crossed, still waiting. Um, you know, Warner Archive, where you at? Uh, <laughs> I actually don't know who released this film, but um, but yeah. So it's uh, it's out there in a few forms. You might be able to find it if you want to. Uh, okay, so past that, we are going to be launching into our next Halloween offering coming up next. It will also be a bad film. We've had, as I mentioned on the Garbage Pail Kids movie, uh, a run of bad films for a while here. But this next bad film is a fun bad film. It's a over-the-top crazy bad film. So uh, we should get some enjoyment out of talking about it. And I think any horror fan especially, this is a good having a beer and laughing at it kind of movie. We're going to be looking at the Nicolas Cage film Vampire's Kiss. I so, love that movie. Uh, <laughs> it's so <yes>. bad. <laughs> it is. It's very bad and very weird and much more entertaining than Boxing mm-hmm. Helena or Garbage Pail Kids. So uh, we will be looking at Vampire's Kiss and then we'll have a few other ones uh, to close out our month of October. All right, but Vampire's Kiss coming up next. 